Julian Chambliss. I'm a professor of English and a core faculty in the Consortium for Critical Diversity and Digital Age Research, or CEDAR, at Michigan State University. I'm also the Val Berriman Curator of History at the MSU Museum, and I will be your host for this episode of Every Tongue's Got to Confess. Every Tongue's Got to Confess is a podcast designed to document the dynamic discussion about education, enterprise, and institutions, and activism intrinsic to the ideology that found Edenville and shaped its most famous daughter. The purpose of this podcast series is to explore issues facing communities of color globally by listening to the voices of attendees at the Zora Neale Hurston Festival of the Arts and Humanities. Founded by the Associated Preserve Edenville, the Zora Festival has long embraced an educational aim inspired by Zora Neale Hurston's celebration of Black culture and life. This production is a joint project between the Associated Preserve Edenville community, Michigan State University, and the University of Central Florida. During the Zora Neale Hurston Festival of the Arts and Humanities, interviewer Kimberly Williams talked with Yama and Washpu in Edenville, Florida about Afrofuturism. Washpu is a fiction writer and poet from Nigeria and a former professional chess player. Have a listen to their conversation. Can you tell me a little bit about yourself and how did you get into the world of Afrofuturism? Well, I, I write fiction, I write um, mostly literary um, fiction. Uh, but with some part of it is speculative fiction, okay. but which I call realism, right? Uh -huh. But of course, you know, it's when you write about you know the supernatural, ghosts and stuff like that, it's called magical realism. But of course, as an African, it's it's real life, yeah. right? Um, so um, that's basically what I do. I used to play chess professional chess for 10 years in Nigeria um, and I, I gave it up when it, you know didn't pay the bills um, and so ju I didn't I don't do it professionally anymore but I, I play from time to time and so of course my relationship with Afrofuturism comes from you know that speculative aspect and I did write a story um, years ago when Gaddafi died, Muammar Gaddafi, the di dictator, um, leader of, of um, Libya, and so, uh, and that's how basically how I found, found how I got invited to this festival was through you know that story that I published, uh, and the story, the thing about the story is basically, it, it looks at Gaddafi and what he represented to the people, okay. and so sort of like how the West played this double-faced game with Gaddafi and with Libya okay. and, and basically just, you know, looked at that relationship, basically looks at Gaddafi's last days in Syria before he was killed. I just imagined what that was like, but also using that as a platform to get out his double-edged um, relationship with the West, but sometimes, you know, it was beneficial to the West and then when it wasn't beneficial anymore, they plotted to take him down. Okay. And the problem with that story was that no journal in the West wanted that story. Okay. Uh, not here in the US and not in the UK. Mm -hmm. 
and eventually got published um, in South Africa. And then when Bill Campbell put you know, his um, anthology together, that's how he found that story, and then he made its way back to the US, which is really very interesting. And so of course it tells you about you know, how beneficial and important Afrofuturism is, yes. because what, what that's doing is it's giving visibility to narratives that are uh, traditionally suppressed in the West. And so, and so, you know, and, and so that's one beneficial um, aspect of, of Afrofuturism, okay. uh, and and that's basically my um, relationship with it. Okay. And I know in your in your work, there's so much around around ghosts and and, and haunting. Can you describe that particular that particular conduit um, in your work, and why not perhaps you know, I don't know vampires or behemoths or of course. I mean, I'm African, I'm Nigerian, and I grew up in that culture where, uh, I mean, I, a, a, a witch could be a vampire. Okay. Yeah. Right? Because, yeah. you know, witches, and when I talk about witches, I mean, like, in real terms, your neighbor could be a witch back in Nigeria, and then, you know, someone could say, that person living over there is losing a lot of blood because the witch is sucking that person's blood. Uh-huh. And in that way, a witch could be a vampire, yes. right? And so that's, now as far as culturally uh, and um, within the cosmology of my world as a Nigerian, that's my relationship with vampires, okay. right? Okay. And of course, the belief in the supernatural and the belief in ghosts, uh, that's something that's also part of my cos- Igbo cosmology as, <clears throat> as an Igbo Nigerian, okay. um, which is why that's what I grew up with and that's what I write about. And so even though I'm doing literary fiction, that aspect of my culture has to be part of that fiction. Okay. You know, because that's how I express myself in the world. That's how I find myself in the world. Okay. Uh, for, for it to be authentic fiction, from my point of view, that has to be a part of um, the component of making the world a fiction that I create. Thank you for that. That really like thorough and very culturally enriching response. Yes. And with that, um, how do you define Afrofuturism? Afrofuturism, I mean, just beyond being in, in the section of African culture mm-hmm. and science, um, like I said, I feel like it's a vector for, you know, the dissemination of African culture mm-hmm. and um, the creation of a black utopia. Mm-hmm. I feel like any story where um, been doing poverty porn, mm-hmm. you know, when we're talking about Africa, where where Africans are seen as having as occupying a place in the world that is equivalent to other people, mm-hmm. that's Afrofuturism. Um, and, and I go back always to when I was growing up and I was watching, you know, the Star Trek movies, you know, and like, and I love those movies. That they're great movies. Uh, and I just I loved this idea of being in the future and seeing what what you know even though I might not have believed that's what the future might look like, mm-hmm. but it was really invigorating and stimulating to see that sort of future. But I just couldn't find myself in that future because there were a lot of you know white people, mm-hmm. and so as a child and you and you're growing up as a child and you're asking yourself, it it, it appears that the future has no place for me. And, and you see, it's really important for a black child growing up anywhere in the world to be able to see themselves in the future, 
to feel like they have a voice in the future, mm -hmm. to feel like they have a voice in the world, yes. right? Um, and so that, that, that became problematic for me. In, in Lacanian um, psychology, there's the idea that from the ages of six to 18 months, a child recognizes themselves in the mirror. Mm. And when that happens, the child then, they're able to accept themselves as an object that, um, that can exist outside of themselves. Mm. And from, from that um, stage, the idea of the ideal is built. Because so, so that when a child watches like an uh, like Superman, they that's the ideal, and so they they develop so instead of instead of seeing Superman, they see themselves as Superman. So when they watch like a commercial, um, and they see someone with white teeth and with, with a great body, they put themselves in the position of that person, right now. If a, a black child in the world is watching all of these movies about superheroes and seeing only white people. It, 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 see, it, it starts to affect the confidence of a child growing up, right? And so, so it's really important um, that and Afrofuturism comes and, and it's trying to get place at the table. And, and that's what like Black Panther does, you know, like seeing, I mean, movie like, say, show like Luke Cage mm -hmm. uh, and Black Panther, Black Panther, seeing a black superhero is such an important thing for a child, uh, which is why um, we want to see more movies like that, yes. we want to see more literature like that, we, we need more um, support for, for stuff like that, we, we need you know money pumping, um, let's have this elaborate discussion about, about our lives, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and of course there's a lot of Afrofuturist art, and when you look at that, it's so beautiful when you mm -hmm. see all of, you know, um, all of that, that art coming out. And I wanted to also mention watching Doctor Who as a child. I love Doctor Who, you know. Um, and I, I had Doctor Who was really very funny, mm -hmm. right? And I had the same problem with Doctor Who, was, and the problem was that I just didn't see myself in that future. Mm -hmm. Even as much as I loved that future, I just I wasn't there. Yeah. But so so that you know, growing up, you, and, and this happens at a subconscious level for a child growing up. Whoever you see as Doctor Who becomes the ideal, and that's what you associate with what you want to be like. And so your role models are not people who look like you, but people who do not look like you, and you eternally. So you basically, it's like you're being programmed. And so you're looking up to, in this situation, white people. Right? And so hopefully Afrofuturism can, you know, entrench its position um, in the West, you know, the, which is the epicenter of literary production, and, 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 so, and that can help create um, a new narrative about you know, Africans, uh, people of African extraction, mm -hmm. and, and, and African culture. Mm -hmm. And make it important, you know, make it like a tangible thing. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. You, you already touched on, and you were, you were talking about the, um, the significance and the influence of, of course, Wakanda Forever with the Black Panther film. Can you describe your, your feelings and your thoughts about um, that film and that film and your work? First, I mean, I have kids, and you know, and it's important for my kids. And last November, I went to my kids' school, and on the wall, I saw um, a drawing of a pharaoh, a pharaoh's queen, and there was a sphinx, and they're all black. Mm -hmm. 
and seeing that I was I took a picture of it and I posted it on Twitter I'm like this is so important Absolutely. you know because you see in the pictures of Africans every time in Hollywood and they're white you know um, and of course the, you sort of go back to the 25th dynasty in in Egypt and how I mean the 25th dynasty were you know people who are black skin and, and when you go to the museum in Egypt they skip the 25th dynasty mm-hmm. right and, and, and so that sort of erasure it's something that we continue as black people to grapple with mm-hmm. and Haiti has taught us that it is those who are um, who are in charge of the tools of making history that make history and det- determine the narratives that we live with then as human beings, right? And so what Afrofuturism does, of course, is to allow us to take charge of you know, the means of producing history. So back to your question about watching um, Black Panther, it's, it was great. I mean, some of, the, some of it was referred to like Boko Haram and Nigeria, you know, and you're like, oh yeah, I know that. And just seeing black people in a position of power, seeing the creation of this black utopia was like euphoric, you know, for me just watching it, you know. And so, I mean, you're watching people flying around like Superman, like Superman and you're like, that guy looks like me. I can fly. And, it's, and the kids are watching it. And you know, my kids are like, you know, four and six. And at, at they're at that stage where, you know, they're making their own impressions of the world. Mm-hmm. And so it's important for them mm-hmm. at that point to, to see, you know, people like them flying around. So, you know, for me it was, it was you know, it was great just, just watching that movie and, and cathartic too, you know. Um, if, if you feel like, you know, this is, this is something you've always wished for and to see it happen in your lifetime is really great. As for its effect on my work, um, my writing is basically, all my stories are set in Nigeria, you know. Every time we have a, a story about black people, you know, being pushed forward, the, the, what happens is that all the stories about black boys begin to gain some kind of prominence. Mm. So you see that trickle-down down effect, mm. right? And so you have more, you feel like someone like, is, is finally listening. Okay. And so you want to push yourself out there because you know it's like, now we're finding our voice, you know, so great things, better things might happen out there because, you know, when you push your work out there, you don't know who, how anyone reacts to it, you know. Uh, I was having a talk with Bill yesterday and he was telling me how he had found my story and it's, it's like people online were saying, have you read the story in Jungle Gym? And, you know, some people, I mean, I, I don't even know this guy, and this story was published a long time ago, yes. right? Um, I said, yes, it's, it, it makes you think that more people are beginning to listen and perhaps we will gain prominence with this um, centering of our story, you know, mm-hmm. in, 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 you know, in the West, you know, and hopefully throughout the world. Okay. And just as, you know, Afrofuturism has um, it's really sort of like became so public with, you know, with the Black Panther. Um, from your perspective, what does Afrofuturism offer society at the moment? What does it offer for critique or, or liberation or, or opportunity? I mean, it's, it's another way of experiencing the world, you know, because, you know, one might be right to say that before this time, there's like this 
one way of looking at the world, which is, you know, through Hollywood or, or other avenues of expression mm -hmm. that are not controlled by black people. So, mm -hmm. so it offers a way to highlight just the fact that, you know, a black utopia is possible. And you see how it galvanized a lot of people when Black Panther came out. A lot of people, you know, people went and, and bought like African clothes and went to the cinema. And they spent a lot of money and it showed that if you make a movie and they're all black people and it's great, people are going to go out and watch it regardless of whether they're black or white. You know, people are going to make money. So that, you know, the color of your skin doesn't really, you know, capitalism as a system doesn't really care whether you know you're black or white but i mean the the um the, the the thinking before was that if you make if you have only black people in the movie no one's gonna go out and watch it you know it's gonna tank mm -hmm. at the box office you know if you don't have like um, white people there you know mm -hmm. as like the lead cast you know you're not gonna make a lot of money but of course you know mm -hmm. it pro black Panther pro uh, uh, proved that it, that's not the case um, so yes, yeah, so, so that's basically um, what I feel. You know, the Black Black Panther the movie is what it did. You know, by you know its existence itself. Mm -hmm. I forget the other parts of your question. Oh, so what does Afrofuturism like offer? Like you know, critiques or and liberation opportunities. So yeah, for liberation, I mean, I want to say something that there is. There's a criticism of Afrofuturism in Africa by certain writers who believe that Afrofuturism only caters to the African American narrative. Mm. And though, uh, and uh, I mean, there was, a, there was a writer in South Africa who was saying that, um, though she lives in this place and she has her own local problems, and that Afrofuturism isn't going to come and save her. Mm. Okay. Right. Uh, you know that her, her story isn't centered, you know, in the Afrofuturism mm -hmm. push, and of course, you know, like in the U.S., Afrofuturism is a way to empower Black people. Mm -hmm. It's empowering Black people. But Black Panther did seem to empower Black people. Uh, and while that writer in South Africa might have, uh, like, her grievances might be, um, you know, legitimate. Mm -hmm. uh, my counter to that is that. Anywhere, any story that makes a black person look good always trickles down, right? Because, you know, it, it always trickles down in, in, in different ways. Yes. You know, um, and so, and I, was, I, was, I mean, I was thinking about this like a couple of days ago uh, about like how you know, Afrofuturism can be used for uh, liberation. Mm -hmm. uh, even, uh, like, for instance, say in Nigeria where we have a dictator right now as, as a president, if, for, if, if an artist makes art using that president's face on, say, I don't know, um, and I'm, I'm not prescri prescribing this, but like on like a horse's body, as a way to talk about what sort of person that president is, mm -hmm. that that leads to you know the, it adds to the conversation about what's happening in that country, mm -hmm. and so that's a way in which Afrofuturism can you know help for those in, for those of us in Africa help.
get us out of the problems or, or, or spark a debate about the state of our affairs, you know, instead of, you know, that's just because I mean, Afrofuturism, Afrofuturism has many um, tracks, mm -hmm. you know, so, the, so that's, you know, in music we have that, you know, we have it, you know, in, 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 in literature, mm -hmm. arts could be another form of expression because that person was saying that thing was a writer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, yeah. That's amazing. Thank you. Thank you for that thorough answer. And, you know, with that, extend even further, where do you see the relationship, the link between Afrofuturism and Zora Neale Hurston? You know, uh, when I was a, a master's student at uh, UT, I did my master at UT at the Mission Center for Writers, I took a class called the um, Haiti and the American Imagination, and you know, and learned about you know when she went to Haiti and that ethnograph, ethnography uh, where she you know studied the people by becoming part of the people, mm -hmm. right? And so there's something adventurous about her spirit, mm. and, and and there's like a there's a boldness about her, and so there's a boldness about Afrofuturism, and which is part of the spirit of her. Just going out. Um, there's no one's going to do it for us. We are going to need to shine a light on, on ourselves, you know. And, and the idea of immersing yourself in a culture to study that culture, you know, being part of the voodoo practices in Haiti, mm -hmm. not just you know, separating yourself from the people, the way that maybe other people would separate themselves, yeah. you know, to study them. But being part of that process itself, mm -hmm. that's something that's so unique to Afrofuturism, because, you know, we're immersing ourselves in our own culture and, 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 and in order to navigate this world and, and shine a light on, on ourselves, you know, to change the narrative about, you know, black people and black culture, mm -hmm. you know, and black works. And do you think the Zora Neale Hurston Festival engagement with Afrofuturism continues Hurston's legacy? I think it does. Yeah, it's especially of course because of the um, of Afrofuturism being a bold vehicle to explore um, our place in the world. Mm -hmm. Because the thing is, as Black people in America, as Black people around the world, we're yearning for our place in the world, mm -hmm. right? And so. That continues her, her legacy because basically she was trying, in order to find her place in the world, she had to interact with black people in other places, mm -hmm. to shine a light, mm -hmm. in order to understand who she was, so, so that she could find her place in America. Mm -hmm. Right, and so, so she was yearning, and Afrofuturism is basically black people yearning to find themselves. Mm -hmm. Right, and so, and so that's why I think, you know. That that conversation, that relationship will continue because basically, we are interested in the same things. Okay. And what do you think contemporary Afrofuturists can learn from Zeronio Hurston and other early um, scholars, related scholars? I would say uh, it would be that in order for you to get from one place, like a place of weakness, to a place of strength, mm -hmm. you do have to um, make some sacrifices. Mm -hmm. And I think, and, 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 I mean, for, for us as writers, we do have to understand that we're going to take some hits. Yeah. Right. And that we're going to sacrifice a lot of things. And so looking forward, mm -hmm. you must say, we must say to ourselves, 
in order for us to have a, f a better future, we need to do these things, and sometimes it's, things are going to be bad, mm. you know, but hopefully we'll be in a better place in the future. And that's, you know, that the idea that it's, it's not, what we're doing isn't, you know, a cushy, um, we're not like in a soft, cushy place. Mm -hmm. We're in a place where we're going to have to make sacrifices. Yeah. And we have to be bold and make the sacrifices in order, in order to move forward. So I am thinking about taking um, your course, but I don't really know too much about Afrofuturism. So what would be, what would, what sort of Afrofuturistic mixtape you would give me that would include maybe like three to five really um, important sort of snapshots and, or artifacts of Afrofuturism that you think would be just tremendous for a new beginning author, reader, creator to get into. And it could be across music, art, um, you know, of course, text. Okay, so basically, you know, um, I mean, I do mostly literary fiction. So this is like my mixtape for, yes. you know, yeah. what Afrofuturism is. Um, I would say if it, there's a musician called Fela, Fela Kuti. Yeah. I would say Fela is like, you know, it's, it's a good jumping off point. Um, there's a lot of art too. I mean, I can't, I don't know names up right off the top of my head, but like, you know, one could search for a lot of this, a lot of this, a lot of artists who are doing like incredible things, yeah. you know, um, just visually, visual arts. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot of that going on. Bill Camp Campbell's, all of, all of his anthologies are great, you know. Um, I, could, I would recommend, I don't, a book, a novel titled An Unkindness of Ghosts mm. by Reba Solomon. Because, mm. um, I mean, it's set in the future and it's all, it's, I mean, it clearly shows the intersection between, you know, just black people and, and science. Mm. I'm trying to think of this this um, musician, I, I forget what her, what her name is. She's, she's always in a lot of Afrofuturist stuff. Janelle Monet, Erica Yes, Badu. yes, 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 yes. Um, Monet. Oh, Monet. Okay. Yes. <laughs> yes. She's amazing. Yes. She's amazing. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I think she she she's a good example, on what she does. You know, she does music, but also when you look at the set, but you watch her videos just visually what she's mm -hmm. doing. Mm -hmm. So like, although it's, it's music, it's also like um, film. And she's doing that all in one shot, like, you know, she's doing her music video, you see all of the futuristic things she's doing, you know, and it's all black people, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, I would say, I mean, I, I think The Black Jacobins by C.L.R. James is like a oh. really excellent book, yes. you know, it's a, it's a, good, it's a good book, because, like I said, how I define Afrofuturism is basically just any work that shows black people in, in a good light, yes. you know, and you, you sort of understand uh, the prognosis of slavery and, and how, um, you know, black people really did fight to emancipate themselves and of course in Haiti they were successful mm -hmm. and how that, that isn't always part of the conversation, right? Mm -hmm. And of course when you look at Haiti for instance, you look at the problems that Haiti's had and you understand how France, you know, 
countries in Europe, the U.S. were part of that problem, you know, when when the, the black people emancipated themselves. Okay. Part of that, you know, how they created that trading embargo mm -hmm. that allowed uh, Haiti to suffer. And, and that's, I mean, that that story doesn't get told enough. And so that a lot of people don't know that's why Haiti yeah. is where it is today. And so, you know, anything that helps, it's useful. That's right. Yes, thank you. Thank you so much for your time. That that concludes our interview. Your is stunning. Thank you. As well as your outfit. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Every Tongue's Got to Confess podcast, the official podcast of the Zora Neale Hurston Festival of Arts and Humanities. Holly Baker and I produced this podcast with assistance from the University of Central Florida, the Association to Preserve Eville Community, and the Consortium for Critical Diversity and the Digital Age Research, or CEDAR, at Michigan State University. Be sure to find our podcast online on your favorite listening platforms and subscribe to never miss an episode. Thank you.